Matthew chapter 15 this morning. Put your finger there. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Now put your finger in Jeremiah 17 and turn back to Matthew 15. You got your fingers nimble this morning. Sorry there's no PowerPoint to follow, but we're basically dealing with one point of last week's message uh, this morning, and uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, There'll be some things that uh, I would certainly think you would want to take notes upon, so listen closely as we go through. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And as we prepare for our meetings next week, we're reminded that our heart is the fountainhead for all of life's issues. Solomon exhorted us to to guard our heart, to to watch over it, to to take care of what, what is in it. Why? Because it is a, it's like the fountainhead. Uh, it's like a, a fountain that issues forth. Uh, we, we loved it when we would go camping at a, a, a local lake campsite uh, with our teenagers every summer. And, and it would be in the heat of the summer. It would be August. And so the heat would be oppressive. And, and uh, there would be this, this awful humidity about it. But... Uh, we, uh, we went camping anyway, and, and the kids loved it. But one of the things that we would do on the second day, in the heat of the day, we'd be out playing games, and not far from our campsite was an artesian well. And boy, the water just would issue forth from that well. And we would get in the heat of the day, and we would walk over to that artesian well, and we would drink the water from it, and it would be cold And it would taste so good and refreshing. Beloved, our hearts are like that well, the the writer of Proverbs says. Our hearts, uh, they, they, they store the contents of what issues out into our lives. And so we must guard our heart. As we, as we face our daily living and interactions with our family and its circumstances, as well as the world around us, whether it's work or friends or strangers, acquaintances and its circumstances, what is in our heart will flow out and affect our reactions and interactions for God's glory or for the purposes of our broken, wicked flesh. These two Sundays of preparation are about examining our own heart, asking the Lord to reveal those things that are causing our heart to depart or be far away from Him, to confess those things and to bring us nearer to Him. I almost started preaching in Sunday school this morning. It, 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 we're, we're on the, the Bema seat of Christ in Sunday school as we're looking at last things and, and we're reminded of what Christ is going to see in our lives. Yet if we would judge ourselves here, if we would not push him off the judgment seat as it were in our daily lives, and we would judge ourselves, allow ourselves to be judged by the judge, the righteous judge now, we can stand before him with anticipation of what we will hear. And so, beloved, these times, these meetings that are coming up, they're a part of, a, of each of us, even your pastor, sitting and examining his heart as the Word of God is open. Why? Because I don't want my heart to issue forth its flesh and its wickedness. I want my heart to be warm toward God and near toward God so that when I and, and my heart are exposed to this life, it's issuing forth the things that please God. We want a profitable time with our evangelist, not because he will do a work, 
but because we want God to do a work in us and through Brother Mike. I trust your prayer is that 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 which was found in the heart of Isaiah, and we referred to this last week, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that a joy? Beloved, it's not a troublesome thing to return to the Lord. Why? Because he is a God of pardon and mercy. He's the God who didn't see when Adam and Eve sinned and said, I'm going to forsake them. I'm going to turn my back on them. No, what were the first issued words out of God's mouth after they sinned? Adam, where art thou? What was God doing? He was seeking. He was reaching out to them. And beloved, sitting here this morning, if our heart is like what we looked at last week, that tumbleweed heart, God is knocking and he's saying, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. It's not a grievous thing. It's a wonderful thing. Why? Because we can return to a God who will have mercy on us and pardon us. He wants us to be near to him. And so last week we opened the word. We looked at the trees of the heart and Jeremiah uses the trees as an illustration to describe two types of heart. In modern vernacular, I entitled them the bramble bush or the tumbleweed, a picture of the unfaithful heart, and the oak tree, a picture of the faithful heart. You know, both are subject to a condition based on the owner of the heart to be near or far from God. Faithful heart is blessed. And the blessing comes by the oak tree's choice to be near God and to be planted and rooted deeply in His Word. But the unfaithful heart is cursed. And this isn't a direct curse from God, but by the tumbleweed's choice to follow His departed heart, that's what brings the curse. Just as a tumbleweed, when the heat and the drought come on and the winds of life begin to blow, we are tossed about, sowing the seeds of the flesh that will only reap its offspring in kind. If you're taking notes this week, we're on number three of our outline from last week, the final point, and that is evaluating the condition of our hearts. Evaluating the condition of our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. We're going to Look in Matthew before we come back to Jeremiah, Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read it and take it apart, make some application there, and then finish in Jeremiah's final treatise on this this evaluating the condition of the heart. So Matthew chapter 15, let's go ahead and read the full context of it. It's just uh, 20 verses and very quickly read. But it says, And Jesus came to the scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do the disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. 
Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, reaching for or teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man. Sound like something that we just read? Pay close attention. But that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? And he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. And so we pick up in this narrative of Jesus and his disciples, the Pharisees, are coming and accusing the, the disciples. They've been watching them and they're looking constantly for an opportunity to catch Christ in a weak moment, but to no avail. And the accusation that they bring is very serious. We find it in verses 1 through 4. The accusation is that they are transgressing tradition. So why are your disciples transgressing the tradition of the elders? Why, why are they overstepping or passing beyond or going around? And the tradition in that day, we have to understand that the, this washing of hands uh, one commentator says this, good Jews were expected to perform ritual hand washing before, during, and after each meal. You remember when Dr. Hartman was here? You remember washing our hands during the Seder dinner? That was part of the Jewish tradition. But they were required to do it three times. And to neglect the first or the third washing was considered a serious sin, possibly a deadly one. Such washing was not prescribed by the Old Testament law, but was a tradition passed down to first century Jews by their elders. But many teachers gave these human traditions an authority equal to that of the Old Testament commandments. And so this was a serious thing. Your disciples, they're not following tradition. Now, beloved, we already defined tradition. We talked about tradition last week. And we know what, what traditions are. Traditions put us in a rut. And we know what a rut is, right? It's a grave with both ends kicked out of it. And so we find ourselves in a grave in the middle of tradition. We need to be careful about that. They were concerned because this was a life-threatening transgression. They didn't care about the commandment. Although the commandment was God's authoritative prescription, it was what God said must be so, they were more concerned about the traditions of men. They were more concerned about the interpretations. The Pharisees, think about this, were trying to make this about tradition. Now, as we read this passage, what are we tempted to make this about? We're tempted to make it about the commandment. Oh, haha. I'm not bound by tradition. I follow the commandment of the law. 
But where did Jesus place the issue? Jesus took it to its source, made it about the heart. You see, the Pharisees were overstepping the commandment of God, not because of tradition, but because of the wickedness of their heart. Look back at verse 5. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or mother, it's a gift by whatsoever thing thou, or by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees honoring their father and mother, taking care of them. And here's a father or mother who's in need, and the Pharisee who has plenty. And what the tradition said was, I can call my money Corbin. I can say this is dedicated to God's use. And because I say it's dedicated to God's use, I can't help you, Mom. Sorry. Can't help you, Dad. See what they were doing? Jesus goes on, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You see, this is a heart issue. It's not about thus saith the Lord. And beloved, I'm not saying we toss out thus saith the Lord. But what I am saying is this, it goes back to what we have spoken about in months past about the royal law, which says what? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. For in this is fulfilled what? All of the law and the prophets. Where does it go? It goes to the heart. What did the Pharisees love? They loved their money. They loved it more than their parents. And they used God as an excuse. Now, beloved, God help us if we develop such a heart. It's already in there. Our heart is wicked. Our heart can devise justifications that, that are, are, are pretty outlandish. And God help us if we allow our heart to develop in such a way that we would use God as an excuse to excuse the things that we want to do or to excuse the way that I am, the condition that I'm in. This was a heart issue. Now, Jesus' accusation was even stronger because he took it to the heart. I want you to, if you underline it, it's a great set of words to underline in, in uh, um, I'm looking for the verse here, uh, verse 6. Thus have you made the commandment of God of non-effect by your tradition. What was Jesus saying? Literally, it means to invalidate the authority of, to nullify it, to make it void, to deprive a law of its force by opinions or acts contrary to it. I want you to think about this, beloved, because as we live our life and even in our own self-justification, our actions that go against the Word of God are not just a transgression against it. Beloved, we in our heart, as in our rebel heart, are seeking to nullify the commandment of God. That's a serious thing. They were making it of none effect. He goes on in his accusation to call them hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? A duplicitous, insincere person. A pretender. An actor under an assumed character. A stage actor would be referred to by the Greek word. It's one who outwardly plays the part of a religious man to perfection, but is inwardly alien to the Spirit of God. My definition of hypocrite is simply this, all of us sometimes. It's easy for us to accuse others of being a hypocrite, but the truth is that 
we all are sometimes a hypocrite. We all play the part. We all come to church and hide what happened just before we came in. The chaos of getting the kids ready and the fussing over trying to get the kids in the car and, and, and just the, the, the hectic nature of it. And boy, as soon as we pull into the church parking lot, what happens? The smiles turn on. We walk in and all the kids get out of the vehicle and their hair is perfect and in place and, and, and everything looks good. We're struggling at work. It's time for accounting and tax preparation. And all at work, we are living a life where it's okay to misreport. Nobody will ever know about that, yet I play the part. I come into church. I have my whited sepulcher put on. Beauty, as long as nobody sees beyond What's in front of them? I'm okay. Jesus said they were hypocrites. They're playing the part. I mean, I, I enjoy, I enjoy a, a good story, enjoy a good uh, play or a good movie. But it would be foolish for Julie Andrews to walk in here this morning calling herself Maria and singing Doe a Deer, right? We would say, hey, Julie Andrews. And she's, oh, no, my name is Maria. Sing with me, Doe a Deer. We would say, something's not right with her. <laughs> Why? Because she's being what? playing the part that she is not. Beloved, Jesus, in bringing this down to the heart level, in bringing this accusation, it, it, was, a, it was a very strong accusation. In fact, when, when he quotes Isaiah, he talks about the fact that their heart is a heart that is far from God. Now, this is worth writing down. Here are some truths about a heart that is far from God. Verse 6, the heart that is far from God minimizes God's worth. Oh, we know what the Bible says, and, and maybe we might even have that heart like we talked about in Sunday school this morning where we sit in judgment or despising somebody else and we look and point out their issues when we have a beam that is all the way to the back of the auditorium sticking out of our eye. What are we doing? We're minimizing the Word of God. We're covering up as a hypocrite what is in my life that needs to be taken care of. Beloved, we cannot be a church that is on fire for God, a church that is moving forward for God when we are covering up our own sin. You say, well, at least it's not as bad as, as that, that person sitting across the auditorium. Pastor, do you know what I saw them do or heard them say? I don't care. Don't tell me. It's not my business, and it's not yours. And if you're using it to cover up your own sin, beloved, you're caught in this web of a heart that is far from God. It minimizes God's word. Number two, it maximizes man's word. What did Jesus say? You, you've made the traditions of men stronger than the commandment of God. You say, well, pastor, I, 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 don't, I don't maximize man's word over mine. Oh, boy. I think sometimes, beloved, we don't even realize, and again, the importance of taking time away. And I, you know what? Valentine's is that week, too. We ought to just call it heart conference that week. It's heart week. You know what? We, we sit 
and, and don't realize how much of this world comes into our heart. And we may never speak the words, follow your heart. That's one of the wonderful words or uh, uh, words of advice that we get from the world. Follow your heart. Oh. More and more today, it's, it's well, I don't feel that way about it. Or you can believe it this way, I'll believe it this way. Beloved, we let things into our heart where man's word becomes so maximized. Sometimes even our own interpretation or our own justification. Number three, a heart that is far from God makes much of God, yet lives for himself. Oh, the Pharisees were all about looking good in front of the people. But what was he doing? What were they doing to their own parents? Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. This money here is dedicated to God. Can't help you. What were they doing? Oh, they were drawing near with their lips and their mouths, right? But their heart was far from him. Oh, you have to be undefiled to be close to God. We must be pure and righteous and holy. Yet they're living their own lives, living for themselves. Number four, they make worship empty. Verse nine says, but in vain do they worship me. I want you to think about this. When we come together to worship, if your heart is telling you, oh, this is just empty, there's nothing here, I can't get anything from it. It's, can I just say that we ought to examine our hearts? We're here to, to worship, to glorify the, the, the living, holy God. And we've said this before about worship. Worship is not just about what happens right here and right now. Worship is what, about what happens six days a week before you come to right here and right now. You know what? If your worship is empty during the week, guess what? Your worship is empty here. And the truth is this, it's like what Isaiah said in chapter 1, quoting the Lord, where he says, Away with your feasts and your observances and your sacrifices. They mean nothing to me. Why? Because they were empty and in vain. Because they had the same heart that the Pharisees have in this chapter. A heart far from God will experience empty worship. Heart far from God makes appearances a priority. Jesus said, you hypocrites. Later in Matthew, he calls them whited sepulchers filled with what? Dead man's bones. Now, I've seen some pretty ornate mausoleums. I mean, places that look like it would be really cool to just go inside and, and, and maybe, maybe even make a place to live out of. I mean, just ornate. You're saying, Pastor, that's gross. Why are you saying that? Who wants to live in a house where the walls are filled with dead man's bones? I don't. You see, we, we make graves look pretty. Why? It makes us feel better. It stirs good memories rather than bad. But the truth is, and I'm not trying to be irreverent or disrespectful, but the truth is, what is under that headstone or what is behind the beautiful doors of the mausoleum? Death. Death. Beloved, we need to check our hearts. 
as Jesus is reminding the disciples, this heart that's far from God is going to make appearance a priority. As long as I look good, as long as nobody can see beyond, I am okay. Beloved, you are not. Why? Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, search the heart. Number six, it makes one blind to his condition. Makes one blind to his condition. We find that in verse 14. Let them alone. They be blind leading the blind. We were at family camp one year, and one of the activities was for a husband and wife. Now, why they did this, you know, I'm sure there were multiple marriage counseling sessions after this activity, but. They would take a husband and wife and they would put them in a golf cart. And there was this obstacle course uh, set out by pylons all through the field. And the person in the passenger's seat would have to guide the person in the driver's seat through that obstacle course as fast as they could. Only the person in the driver's seat was blindfolded. It was comical. Sometimes. It got scary sometimes because just like the tea bag when the hot water got poured on, <laughs> some of the inside came out. But can you imagine having both of them blindfolded and them trying to drive through the, golf, through the obstacle course? And the truth is, beloved, you can't be a dad whose heart is far from God and lead your children to be near him. You can't be a mom whose heart is far from God and lead your children to be near him. You can't be a boss or a manager whose heart is far from God and lead your coworkers, lead those underneath you in a godly way. You can't be a Sunday school teacher whose heart is far from God and lead your class in the paths of righteousness. Why? Because you're the blind leading the blind. What does Jesus say about it? What happens? And if the blind lead the blind, what? Both shall fall into the ditch. Oh, the heart, the royal command, beloved. It's a narrow path. It's one that requires us to be in the word for our heart to be near him. Why? Because in that narrow path is a deep ditch on both sides. Legalism, license, however you want to term it. It's on both sides and it's a dangerous ditch. It's a ditch that traps us and we need eyes wide open. And those eyes can only be wide open, Jesus says, with a heart that's near him. I want you to see one more thing. One more truth or set of truths we can pull from this or applications. The Pharisees' offense. There came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended? After they heard this saying, Lord, you offended the Pharisees. Lord, you offended the, 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 the dudes that are like the doctors and lawyers that everybody look up to. They were offended by it. But beloved, if we're going to have a heart that is near God, and we're going to live to please him, we must understand that it won't be easy. You know, in years past, in a moral society that had a respect for God, we had it easy. There was a day where you could bring your Bible to school, in a public school, set it down on your desk, open it and read it, talk about it with other students, pray before class. In fact, have the teacher lead in prayer or the teacher ask somebody to pray before class started. Walk down the hall, see the Ten Commandments listed on the wall in the hallways. 
It was easy in those days, wasn't it? We had a moral society that at least had a fear of God, a respect of God. But beloved, it's no longer that way. We need to be willing to stand for the truth regardless of what a society says, even religious society. So three things for us to understand in application here. Number one, truth is offensive. Truth is offensive. It's easy for us to justify, to live in society, to, to kind of fly under the radar and, and, and to, to not speak up. But beloved, there are times where we need to speak up because silence is approval. And we need to understand that truth is offensive. Pharisees were, under, were, were offended by the truth that Jesus spoke. But can I just say this? More than any other day, beloved, our society needs the truth of God's word and it needs people to speak up for it, to share it. Think about before you were saved. Think about before God was even doing a work in your heart. You think, would it have been offensive for somebody to tell you that you're a sinner? Mm. Yeah. But you know what? For us to tell the truth is the most loving thing that we can do. Don't be silent. Sometimes our silence will damn a person to eternity, separated from God. The truth is going to be offensive. Number two, truth is countercultural. It's always been countercultural. Why? Because man's heart is wicked. And we as believers, we're to live countercultural in this world because we're living the truth of God's word. That's why Jesus, when he came on the scene, he was, I, I mean, some viewed him as a revolutionary. Why? Because he wasn't living by the traditions of men. He wasn't living by the culture and traditions. He was countercultural. Why? Because he was filled with what, as John says, full of grace and truth. Truth is countercultural. Number three, truth recognizes and declares the origin of our wickedness. What did Jesus say as he got to the end of this interaction? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from where? The heart. And they what? Defile the body. I want you to think about this. Sorry, I didn't even get to point three. We just got through the introduction. So I'm going to wrap it up for you. I want you to think about this. The things that come out of the heart are what defile the body. It's interesting when you look at this word defile in the text because when we, when we see that word, we, we have this, this imagining, I'm sure, of just pure evil and and. And, and maybe something that is putrefying and, and awful. But it's really interesting, the Greek word that that comes from. It comes from the same word that we use to describe fellowship. Koinonia, having all things common. We, we fellowship with one another. That's why, you know, it doesn't bother me to, to not eat until 1.30 in the afternoon. Why? Because... We're staying around enjoying fellowship with, with people in our church. And I love that. That's a wonderful thing. But isn't it interesting? It comes from a word that means common. I want you to think about this. How many of us are just satisfied to be common? I don't have to stand out in the world. Don't have to draw attention to myself. Now, I'm not saying that we, we you know, we have to be like, remember those old guys, or the guys in the old days that, 
uh, would shave their head, the Hare Krishnas, and the wear the robes in the in the uh, airport and hand out flowers. You know, they were kind of strange. I'm not saying we have to be like that. But they were uncommon, weren't they? <laughs> I wonder sometimes if 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 we're satisfied to just look like the rest of the world around us, to just fit in. We don't think about defilement as being something that would just be seen as common. See, truth recognizes, declares the origin of our wickedness. And that's why Jeremiah reminds us in verses 9 and 10 that we need to, number three, evaluate the condition of our heart. Why? Because it's deceptive in nature. It'll blind us. We need to, to recognize the inclination towards sin and self-deception. We don't have time to go through the list, but I love the, uh, the list that, 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 that Paul Tripp gave in, in his book, uh, Reaction, um, about um, things in our culture that we as believers are normalizing ourselves to. And it's, it's things that have to do with our heart. I wish we could go through and list all the scripture, but emotionally driven responses, anger driven responses, disrespectful responses, self-righteous responses, vengeful responses, individualism, love of controversy, tribalism. These, these are all things, beloved, that are not just being normalized in our society, but it's interesting to see that as 2020 hit and we had this radical culture shift, how these things are being brought into the heart and emanating from the fountain head of believers. Beloved, we need to examine our hearts. That's why verse 10 is a wonderful verse. Why? Because it says, I, the Lord, know the heart, I try the reins. And so it's important for us to allow God to examine our hearts, to invite His scrutiny and correction. You say, Pastor, how can I do that? Well, number one, by listening to the Spirit of God. Even this morning, checking our hearts. Number two, Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we love those words, alive and powerful. Oh boy, I can throw those out. And they're really cool terms. And I can, I can, I can speak them to others. And, and they think I know the Bible. But do we really, beloved, do we let those words penetrate the alive and powerful nature of the Word? Why? Because it is to penetrate to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And notice this, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I've worked on wells before, but I've never used a sword to work on a well. But here God's prescription for the wellhead of our life, the fountainhead of our life, is to take a two-edged sword and to pierce it right down into it, and it's going to reveal, is this flesh, is this emotion, or is this truth? Is this royal law that's going on in this, this fountainhead of the heart? You say, Pastor, how do we know that? Well, it's not just the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, but, but verse 13 goes on to say, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You want a heart that's near God? You want a heart that is evaluated? Beloved, be a, a believer, be a, a disciple who is in the Word. 
not just checking the checklist. Oh, I read my, my chapters in the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverbs so I can get through the Bible in a year. No. It's reading it in such a way that we are allowing the very eyes of God to peer into our heart and soul and to expose those things. Literal picture of those verses. When the animal was brought for sacrifice, it had to be what kind of animal without spot or blemish. That wasn't just on the outside. No, the priest had a very sharp knife. And after they would cut the throat of that sacrifice, they would open it up and they would look inside to see it was laid out naked and open before the priest to show whether or not there were any blemishes on the inside as well. Beloved, we need to lay our heart open before God's word. Allow it to pierce down to the very, the very heart and soul of who we are to clean out that fountainhead that is issuing forth all that's in our heart. And so I would ask you this morning, in just a moment, we'll have a time of, of meditation, of, of response. I would ask you this morning, search your heart. Let the Word of God search your heart. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart and then be obedient to Him. Let's be oak trees, not tumbleweeds be hearts that are near him hearts that long to please him I remind you of Isaiah seek ye the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon May God help us to be near Him. May God help us this morning if, if there are hearts that are far from Him that we would set aside our pride, our blindness, our hypocrisy and we would just return to the Lord and leave today with the joy of His pardon and mercy in our lives. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we know that our hearts are wicked. They're desperately wicked, deceitful above all. Lord, it's easy for us as believers to forget that we're your children. It's so easy for us to begin to get into a rut, to get into things that draw our heart far from you, to justify, to maximize philosophies of men, even our own thinking above your word. Lord, we need you to examine our hearts and, and make manifest, shine the light on the blemishes, the things that are there, that, that are tainting the fountain of our life. Lord, take your sword this morning and pierce it down deep. Lord, may we leave here this morning ready for a week of exhortation. And not going into those days where we, we come in holding on to things and, 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 and being uh, hammered by your spirit because we just won't let go. Lord, how much better for us to enter into those days where our hearts are excited, our hearts are drawing near to you. And Lord, we see a, a reviving and a refreshing that's going to push us through a year of ministry. Give us vision and energy to minister for your glory, to disciple 
to make disciples. Lord, we need this. So, Father, as we take this time, just these few moments where we are silent, we listen to your voice, and Lord, we respond, whether, Father, that's a, a response of, of making an altar here at the front, or making an altar at our seat, just doing business with you, grabbing somebody that can pray with us. Lord, this is that time that we listen to your spirit. And Lord, may we be obedient to him in these following moments. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your pardon and your mercy. Lord, I pray this morning as we are listening to your spirit, Lord, as we are seeking to follow him in obedience, Lord, that we would know that joy that comes from confessing our sin, from turning to you to help us. Lord, may we be the people that we ought. Trees planted, roots growing deep, watered by your word. And even in the driest of seasons, though the winds blow, though the heat may be hot, Lord, we can still have refreshing and rejoicing because our hearts are near you. Lord, we pray that our heart attitudes would be carried into these meetings starting next week. Lord, continue to do your work. Lord, we pray for revival in our own hearts. Oh Lord, what a, a wonderful thing it would be for revival to open up in our church family. But Lord, that is your work. It's the work of the Spirit. Lord, may we submit to it. Lord, lead and guide Mike as he prepares. Use him mightily in our lives as he exhorts us from your word. Father, thank you for our time together today. May, may, we, may, may what we've done, Lord, may our hearts honor and please you. May you be glorified in it, in Jesus' name.